Welcome back, Axe of Pod listeners. Uh, excited to introduce our guest today. Uh, his name is Derek Maines. He's the president of Fat Scooters, which is a Arizona-based company that makes some really amazing products. If you couldn't guess, fat-wheeled electric scooters that look more like motorcycles. Derek is and his company at, at Fat are disrupting the electric vehicle space now with customized, very niche scooters for more of a, a luxury brand, if you will. So very excited to have Derek on the show today. We talk about a lot of things, including their new show that they have, reality TV show on Crackle. That's very interesting. We talk about kind of the business and the entrepreneurship of the micromobility space, along with the differentiation that their product brings to market, including safety. So enjoy the show. Okay, Axapod listeners, welcome back to the pod. I have a friend here, Derek Maines from Fat Scooters down in Arizona. Derek, thanks for joining us on the pod today. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. So we were just discussing this off air, but Derek actually had a podcast back when <laughs> and before podcasts were cool. Back when uh, they called it radio for a while. Radio. There used to be this thing in your car, in your home, yeah. where you could dial in the, the frequency and listen to radio waves. So what was the, what was the podcast about? Well, it was about sustainability. So I worked in the sustainability industry. I ran a number of recycling companies around electronic waste, as well as just regular waste for a number of years. And so we just did a, I would say, a fiscally conservative uh, approach to sustainability because a lot of the clients that we worked with at the time, my company were like Walmart, ExxonMobil. So we weren't working with the folks that were super green. We were working with the folks that were trying to figure out how to capitalize on the opportunity of sustainability. That's really what the premise of the show was, which was sort of, you know, not, we used to call it blog talk back then. We didn't even call it podcast. It was called, <laughs> yeah. it was called you know, talking blogs kind of thing. Yeah, the main premise of that was having conversations, particularly with a lot of Wall Street types. How is sustainability relevant? How are these trends, things like electric vehicles and solar and wind, and how are those trends going to affect investing long term? And what can companies do to mitigate the risks of potential change to their industry? as well as to find ways to make investments into those markets so that they could capitalize long-term. And, and it's pretty cool. I mean, we've uh, just recently, I, I mentioned the other day, I was sort of reminded of my history in doing these. And, and somebody reminded me of one episode that we were talking to a, a, an oil industry exec, and he started talking in the call about maybe making some investments. And I looked the other day and uh, the investments that they made in sustainability turned out to be worth a couple of billion dollars. So I'm like, you know, oh. I mean, it took 10 years for yeah. it to happen, but they wow. started looking into biofuels. They started looking into electric vehicles. And now it's interesting when I look at the portfolio of that petroleum company, they've got all of those things in their portfolio, recognizing that in a lot of senses, you're playing a game of chess, right? When new trends come into the market, smart entrepreneurs and smart businesses place pieces out there into those markets, even if they're not completely sure that those things are going to turn into something. They, they might, I think you can see that with like uh, spin is a great example with Ford, right? I mean, sure. Ford made a move into the electric bicycle space. Well, why would they do that? That's not their core business, but they're seeing a trend and they're saying, let's at least put a pawn out there in that right. space in case sometime in the future, we're going to need that. Let's protect some ground. And I think that's what you're, you're going to 
a lot, particularly in the micromobility space in the next few years, is I think you're going to start to see the automobile manufacturers start to think this through a little bit more and say, hey, look, BMW did it years ago. They, they changed from being, you know, from, from being a car company to being a, a people transportation company. And uh, right. why would they do that? Well, because they saw a trend and they saw a trend that cars might not be a long-term solution to, to the world's problems. And, uh, you know, if you think about human evolution and in millions of years, how long have cars been around? Very, very short amount of time of, right. of the right. human experience. So are cars a permanent fixture in our society going forward? I don't know. Maybe not. I, I personally don't think they are. Yeah, no, I would agree. Particularly, at the very least, people not driving cars. The autonomous aspect of the long haul is really where there's some opportunities. You know, that, that, that yeah. is kids driving a car across country. That's not, not going to be a thing relatively no. soon. I have, you know, a one-year-old, a three-year-old, and a five-year-old. And my wife's always using the, when you get your driver's license analogy. And I'm like, I don't think they're ever going to have a driver's Never. license. If you look at the trends, right, autonomous vehicles, and they're pretty good right now. Even my, you know, 2019 Jeep does a pretty dang good job if I'm not paying attention. If my right. eyes stray down to my phone or, you know, it, it alerts me, it puts me back in the lane, it does those kind of things. And I think you're, you're getting close to a time where vehicles will become autonomous. And then there's this question, Brandon, you know, will, will, what will, what will people do? Right. And they will, of course, there's going to be lots of pushback and people are going to say, I'm always going to drive. Well, you're in the insurance business. So let me tell you what the actuaries will do when a certain percentage of the cars on the road become autonomous and you still want to drive your pick them up truck around. And they start looking at the insurance actuaries on it and they say, oh, yeah, you want to drive your 20-year-old Ford F-150? Well, you're now the most dangerous person on the road. Right. So, you know, here's a $10,000 a month insurance bill. And I actually have a friend who's an insurance actuary and he, and he tells me that. He says, look, once you hit a certain point where there's a certain amount of autonomous vehicles out there, the cost of insuring yourself is going to become so egregious that yeah. only the ultra wealthy, only Elon Musk could afford right. to drive a car on his own. That, that's a very interesting analysis. And then, you know, when you look at the risk angle from, you know, the insurance perspective, you, you start looking at, you know, today bodily injury is the, the biggest risk while driving an automobile. Well, in five or 10 years, that risk could be personal information being exposed because you're no longer at risk for driving the car, but there's other risk factors that, that come with driving the car. So mm-hmm. we're in a little forum about a year ago, and I'd love to do it again here relatively soon. It, and we called it the kid in the garage. And, and it was a group of CEOs that would get together and we would talk about what's the kid in a garage someplace doing on a computer that's about ready to completely disrupt the world. You know, because if you right. think about the origins of Apple and of Microsoft and of all of these companies, you know, it's usually not a big company that becomes an innovator that drives the, the dramatic change in the world. It's usually some kid starts someplace with this thing. And it was interesting to go through this with CEOs that are running $500 million a year revenue businesses and get their sort of analysis and their take on things. But, but you're exactly right. I mean, one of those was we, we talked a lot in that meeting about the autonomous cars. We talked about parking. You know, one of the guys in that meeting owned a asphalt company. And he's like, we're, we're diversifying our portfolio because who's going to need a parking lot? When cars become fully autonomous, why would you own a car? And then why would it ever be parked? It will just run 24 hours a day like Uber, you know, picking people up and doing its own thing. 
So, you know, just thinking about those changes to the world that will happen because of autonomous vehicles. But I think to the point of this podcast, what door does that open for that last mile that we live inside a country club and we want to drive, you know, down to the clubhouse and it's, and it's 800 yards, but I have a whole bunch of the kids swimming stuff and everything. I mean, I'm not going to get an Uber to move me 800 yards. I'm not going to get an Uber to drive me three miles. I'm going to find an alternative. And and I and I don't think the alternative is people will become more fit and and walk or run. <laughs> no, I don't horses horses are probably not coming back. Pro- know, probably not. I I, yeah. I would agree with you. I think I think the horse thing is a little uh, it, it's a little. <laughs> but and I think that same trend of horses. If you think about that, let, let's just use the horses as a great sort of analogy here for a moment. Horses were a utility for a long time. You had to have a horse. If you didn't have a horse, you couldn't train. You couldn't move. Right, you were very, you were very restricted. Cars are becoming that, right? They are, the, they're the next horse. Who has horses today? Well, people in rural areas and, and ultra wealthy people. Right. <laughs> well, who has the cars of the future? The, the guy who has a ranch that needs to drive his right. pick him up truck to go get hay. You know, ultra wealthy people. So that exact same trend is coming, and that's why I'm so excited to be in this micro mobility space. Even though our we exist in a little bit of a different space than the than the small you know foldable scooters, but still we feel like that's where the opportunity in the market is. I think if you combine electric and micro mobility together, all of a sudden you're following two of the biggest trends, maybe in human evolution. Yeah, well that's that's a really interesting point that you know you bring up. There's this spectrum of micro mobility right now. I mean you have the kick scooters that are. You know, really for last block or last mile mobility, you have now a kind of an entry into delivery, right? You have either food delivery or parcel delivery, uh, looking at the micromobility space. I mean, you have Amazon that's soon to be, my sources tell me, soon to be investing some very large dollars in the micromobility space and looking at cargo bikes and stuff like that. It kind of moves along to more luxury more you know you have motorcycles on maybe the far spectrum of micromobility but you know you're kind of you're kind of in this interesting niche which is kind of this luxury but also very utility driven uh micromobility space where do you guys see yourself kind of fitting into that spec i think if you think about the automobile industry not every car is a bentley right i mean they're, they're just not not every car is a mercedes-benz not every there's lots of different flavors in that and it depends upon what your budget is, what your need is, what your terrain is, and you make a decision based upon that. I have a SUV with a big Hemi in it. Well, why do I have that? Well, it's not for driving around the streets of Phoenix. <laughs> we were mentioning this before the call, right? I've got a cabin up in the woods. It's going to snow this weekend. We'd like to go off-road. I want to take the dogs out in the woods. I want to do hiking and I want to do backpacking. I want to do all these kind of things. And because of that, it makes sense for me to have a vehicle that accommodates those things. Uh, where we exist as fat scooters is we don't exist in that true micro, really micro mobility space, although we have some products in there and we're, we're looking at that space. Where we tend to really thrive is in this higher end luxury, the Bentley owner, the Mercedes Benz owner, even on the entry level side, we would be like the What's the BMW? It's not the, it's, I, I think Mercedes and not C-Class, but you know, it's oh, yeah, an yeah. entry sort of level, right? I mean, right. Our, our scooters started about 2,500 bucks. 
which we're actually looking at doing some more price increases this year. We think that we probably need to be about a $3,000 entry point, but our scooters go up to, I mean, we have a scooter sitting on the floor, a couple down there right now. We've got four or five $15,000 scooters rolling off today. I've got a $20,000 scooter for a movie star that we're doing right now. I've got a $25,000 scooter uh, that we're working on later this year. So, you know, we exist in a space that is not about that last mile. This is more about style. It's more about an expression of, of who you are and having that reflected in your custom product. It's a little different than where everybody else exists, but that doesn't mean that we won't get there. I think we're in the transition period ourselves. When we, when we first came out three years ago and we used the word scooter, there wasn't a connotation of micromobility. The connotation was electric moped. That's what people would, when we would use that word, people would say, right. oh, like an electric moped. Right. They didn't have that idea of a kick scooter. And that kick yeah. scooter thing was, was a kid thing and they weren't even motorized for the most part. So yeah. we're, we're transitioning as well and actually losing the scooter name later this year and just becoming fat because oh. people know us as a brand. They know us for our products. We've started to expand those products. We do have delivery scooters now, long range delivery scooters. We have a, a kid's product that's more like a kick scooter. It's a little bit, little fatter tire, a little fatter deck. We have two new products that are going to come out next year that are different than our existing model. So we need to exist as that electric vehicle, you know, assembly manufacturer, you know, leader in that sort of space. And you can do that kind of within the microcosm of being an electric vehicle. And obviously you have this background in sustainability. I mean, you can still do that within that kind of thinking paradigm, but it's a really nice kind of mixture of the 21st century, you know, lifestyle here. Absolutely. Well, we tend to think that there is a category that when you think about micromobility, sort of the next category up from that are what they call neighborhood electric vehicles. And that tends to be dominated by golf carts. Right. You know, and, and a golf cart has a purpose and it's, it's moving multiple people, you know, in a, in a, in a one to, you know, seven or eight mile radius. We, we move a single person in a one to seven or eight or 10 or 10 mile radius. So it's a little bit different. We sort of exist on this right. micromobility and the NEV market, that neighborhood electric vehicle. And it's a good space. I mean, as you, you know, as we've talked a little bit, the number of celebrities that we have as clients is just astronomical. How did all that start? Maybe we need to back up a little yeah. bit here, but how did, how did you get into the celebrity space? And obviously, you know, it's from an, from a, uh, visibility standpoint, it's, it's fantastic, right? You, you, you get somebody using your product and suddenly you can expose yourself to hundreds or thousands or millions of people. Yeah. And that's, it's been a core sort of tenant of the company since we got started. And I would love to say that it was our sort of idea coming out of the gate that, Oh, we're going to go after celebrities. Not the case. These are organic customers. We don't pay anybody to be a promoter of fat scooters. We have customers that are raving fans of the product. And because they're raving fans of the product, they want to get out and talk about it. So that gives us a very organic opportunity. You know, when you see Deion Sanders or DJ Khaled or Blake Shelton and NASCAR drivers and hockey players and, and guys like Bill Murray and, you know, NBA players like Dominique Wilkins. I mean, you, you know, you've got, you've got this whole sort of, we, we exist in this space of, these are the, these are folks that, maybe live in a gated community, live in a smaller private community. They want a way to get around. They don't really like the golf cart thing. They love the boom and speaker system. They want to pimp it out. They want it to be super cool. They want the sidecar that they can put their, their dog in. 
you know, so we get a lot of those rappers. Little John, I just posted the other day on his his face or his Instagram page. We have a we have a very like a level celebrity was here the other day buying some scooters. We've got a a very very famous uh, musician that's coming in today to pick up a couple. You know, so it's we've got some NFL, we've got a whole slew of NFL guys coming in at two o'clock today. Sometimes they come in individually and they're like, we want to buy. Sometimes they come in as a group and they're like, hey, we should all get fat scooters and they fly into town and. Hundred thousand bucks. We, we had a NFL team earlier this week. Another NFL team that ordered. You know, I, I wouldn't even want to say how many. But Got that's it. the cool thing, and they want the brand yeah. on there, and they want the logo, and they want it to be unique, and they always want to one up each other, which is helpful in our market too. Because right. uh, I had a client the other day that called and, and pretty well known entrepreneur, and and he's like, hey, I, I want to get this, and and we start putting together the order, and he's like, hey, does so and so have one? I said, yeah, I think he does, and he goes. Well, make sure that this one has more speakers than his. <laughs> okay, we can do that. You know, so we get a lot of that kind of clientele, and it really happened organically. When we first came out, we were very fortunate that a number of the guys here that have been here early on, Drew was was Wayne Gretzky's merchandise agent for a long time. Peter swam in the Olympics in Sydney, so we had some connections in the sports space when we came out, and and we just found that it was a very very small world. You know, once yeah. once one guy gets caught on Instagram with it. Everybody starts DMing them, and the next thing you know, we're getting blown up by you know hundreds of uh, celebrities that want to buy these things and and make it a part of their lifestyle. That's a very social uh, media has, I'm sure, been a huge influence in just your ability to advertise the brand from that perspective. And I think too, you know, to that point, one of the things that we look at every morning, and I'm just going to check it today. Okay, so today traffic is up about 25% on the site. So then I have to ask myself why. Right, because we don't do a ton of marketing. I mean, we spend very, very little on marketing. So I got to start looking. Where is the traffic coming from? Okay, it's coming from YouTube. So then I got to go over to YouTube. Who posted? Somebody did something, you know. And that—that's a lot of times how we follow these trends. So we don't even know that these things are going to go down until they already went down. Many times we get celebrities that order through their agents, or they order through a third party, or through their wife's name. So we don't even know they have it, and then all of a sudden. You know, we had one morning uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, our, our traffic was up like 2,000% when we woke up in the morning. And I'm like, what's going on? And there's Deion Sanders on Instagram. <laughs> and every NFL player out there is blowing us up. So you know, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of cool aspects to that. But it's not been something that we have purposely done. It's been, been very organic. And I think That's when kinda... are organic, that really helps. Because, you know, we have investors, investor types that ask us all the time. What do you, you know, I was talking to a VC the other day. And he's like, well, what do you guys pay all these guys? I'm like, uh, they buy product from us. He's like, no, 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 but what do you pay them to post? I'm like, no, no, no you don't understand. They buy product. And right. They post it on Instagram. He's like, they are customers. Yeah. That, is, that is that is an unbelievable story. It's pretty cool. Yeah, which I guess brings us to your new TV show coming out here <laughs> on, on Crackle in January, right? Yeah, we've actually moved it out a little bit. We're going to push it into March. Um, okay. To uh, we we've got a couple of of last minute celebrity opportunities that we want to incorporate. Oh yeah. One, one we got a chance to shoot the other day, and the other ones we're going to get. We're going to shoot the first week of December. So we moved a little bit out. So we're going to launch around. You'll start to see promos and some little teasers and stuff in February. But yeah, we've we've got our own docu series reality TV show that originally was created, the idea behind it was a design build deliver show. So think of Orange County Choppers, think of anything like that, where you sort of, you know, you, 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 the celebrity calls in, oh, I'm looking for a great, great story. Dominique Wilkins, the human highlight reel for the Atlanta Hawks, you know, called, hit me up on Instagram one day. He saw somebody else had a scooter. 
he hit me up on Instagram and he said, Hey, I've got a charity called culture city. And we want to do this, this charity auction. And we have all these great celebrities that come to it. And it's in December. Would you, would you consider donating one for the auction? I said, yeah, absolutely. Dominique, if you can beat me one-on-one in basketball, uh, I, I <laughs> will give go. it to you. He thought that was great. So he's like, here's my physical address to my house. And I said, are you cool with me bringing a camera crew? He's like, absolutely. So needless to say, I'll leave the surprise for the episode when it airs. But uh, I did not collect the credit card. (laughs) So, you know, we've got those kind of things that that are part of sort of the persona of the company as well. You know, that design, build, deliver was what the show was really based around. The interesting thing is, is when the director got here and I love our director, Rob Kerbison, he's very well known in Hollywood. Probably the thing that I think makes him such a great storyteller is he was a director of Sesame Street. And oh, wow. because of that, he he's very good at telling the story behind the story. So although he came in and the direction, you know, from the network and from us was design, build, deliver, he came in and said, wait a second, there's a really cool American entrepreneurial story here that really probably should take as big of a position in the storyline as the cool celebrity that's getting, you know, getting a scooter. And so I'm excited to see the final cuts. Everything that's been cut so far that has been out there and shared publicly doesn't have anything to do with celebrities. And we have thousands of people already starting to follow the show and get excited about it. So we're, we're really stoked about that. I think it's going to be a cool opportunity for us to tell the entrepreneurial story, talk about sustainability, but also, you know, to showcase yep. the cool brand that we've built. The climate that we're in, you, I mean, you're, you're fitting in such a kind of a nice position there to demonstrate, you know, where you are kind of in the manufacturing space, culture, everything else that, you know, a lot of, a lot of places are missing. So it's a, it's a very cool concept. Cool too, for people to see success in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. Uh, You know, we we did have to pivot the company pretty significantly in order to do that. And one of the pivots was the TV show. I mean, we, my good friend, Kelly Salloway, who's the executive producer of the show, you know, I've known Kelly for years and she's produced multiple successful television shows. And, and the night that the NBA canceled the season, I'll never forget. We had a party at our, at our office, in our office, we had a 2000 square foot bar, our new office, we're putting in about a 6,000, almost 8,000 square foot bar to do events, mostly, you know, executive events, entrepreneurial events, NFL PA events, those kind of things that tend to turn into sales. But we were standing at the bar and uh, watching TV and the NBA canceled the season. And Kelly looked at me and said, you know, biggest opportunity ever for entertainment just hit the, hit the ground. And I said, what's that? And she said, everything's going to get canceled. Everybody, there's going to be a yeah. gap in entertainment. Everybody's going to consume mass amounts of content. And Hollywood's not going to produce anything for probably six months. So right. if you ever wanted to produce and pitch a show, you need to be pitching it tomorrow morning. <laughs> And, yeah. and to the next morning, we got a crew together of local folks. We shot a sizzle reel, hired a broker. And within three weeks, we were talking to three networks. So, you know, it, she was right. <laughs> so, but sometimes you have to make that pivot, right? If we would have yeah. went out and just pitched an organic show, do I think we would have gotten some traction? Absolutely, I do. I think the, the Fat Scooter story is cool enough. The celebrity piece is cool enough. I think we could have gotten traction. and We probably could have got a network interest. Would we have had three networks and got the deal we got? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know, I think Sony Sony and Crackle looked at this and said, we want this because we feel like this is a great sort of catalyst. It's a great story. And they were just really eager to work with us. Where other networks were a little bit, you know, oh, we're not so sure. Who knows what's going to happen? The sky is falling. You know, I got to give Crackle credit. Those guys were just like, absolutely. We need feel good stories like this. 
we don't know how long this is going to last, but let, let's see what happens. And they got behind it and the rest is history, I guess. Well, that's an interesting kind of addition to what I figured was just based on what I'm seeing out there with e-bikes going the way they are, with scooters going the way they are, had, had COVID-19 from your kind of the manufacturing side of the business been a boost to orders for you? Absolutely. I, yeah. think, I think particularly in our market, yes, you saw a rise in e-bikes. You saw all these different things that happened because of COVID and I think people were home more. I think what we've seen is that trend definitely has translated into increase in sales, but it's also dramatically increased the level of customization on the bikes that we do sell. Yeah, uh, and sure. I think a lot of that reason is people are like, you know what, we're not going to Paris for the summer. Yep. You know, we're just not, I'm not taking the kids. We're not taking the motor home and driving to Montana. So what are we going to do? And the kids are home from school. We're being homeschooled. And you know what? I, I love them, but I love them at a distance a little bit more than I love them up close all the time. Right. So right. Yes. we had, we had a, a pro ball player that was here the other day and he had bought his son, one of our flex units and he brought it in for service. And we said, wow, you know, it's only been two months. I'm really surprised that, you know, it needs service. And he said, yeah. Uh, he said, he drives it a lot. So we looked at the odometer, which you can't see, but we could see him. And his son had put 498 miles on this scooter in 60 days. Wow. Uh, we were like, Holy crap. I mean, this kid's put like eight miles, eight, nine miles a day on this scooter. The you know, scooter the, is babysitting the kid. Exactly. And, and <laughs> but that's, you know, that's eight or nine miles a day that he's not at home pestering his mom. Right. And, you know, what right. are we going to do? What's for dinner? You know, so there's, there's, there's an advantage to that. I have a, a friend who's a GM of an NFL team and he always says, he said, look, this is the best time I spend with my kids. He said, because every time, you know, he, he's separated and, and he's like, every time I go to pick them up, they're like, oh, I got, they got their in the backseat, you know, and then, then we get to the house and they're like, can we play Xbox? And I'm like, why don't you spend time with the family and let's, let's play a board game. And the kids are just like, you know, ripping their hair out. Like, God, why right. did you make me do this? I hate you. You know, but, but he's like, man, the day I got fat scooters and I was like, Hey, let me show you guys something. They saw those things, their phones went in the drawer and right. they were like cruising the neighborhood. And he's like, so I get to go out with them and hang out with them and go grab a Starbucks and go ride through the neighborhood. And they can say, Hey, let's go over and explore the place around our old school. And can we drive past my buddy's house and see if he's out there so we can wave at him? And he's like, look, we, we just all day long. That's all we do. Every time I, he's like, every time I'm with my kids, when I pick them up Friday night, it's like all day, Saturday, all day, Sunday, we're on the, we're on the backs of scooters. And, and that's pretty cool, you know, to think that you can do that and bring sort of families together. And I think in this time of COVID, people have become more family oriented, you know, not because they wanted to, but because, they right. have to. and this is just sort of that escape, that way to get out there and sort of spend some time with the family and, and, and enjoy yourself. Yeah. My, my escape was when we were in quarantine, which was like, you know, March through May was daily walks, you know, in the free, you know, I'm in, I'm in Minneapolis. It was not warm, but I would have much rather been, been on a scooter, you know, and had, and had them in a sidecar. So that, that is in my future. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, that's the one thing that's great about a fat scooter as well is because it is a little bit more luxury you can sit down, you can stand up, you can do all those things. You know, we've got big padded seats on these things. You know, Peter and I, when we first tested our last round of batteries, we had to at like five o'clock on a, on a Friday, he's like, Hey, let's take these two prototypes and let's see, let's drive them until we have to call somebody to pick us up, you know, and we probably went 45 or 50 miles. Now we stopped at a few pubs along the way. <laughs> you know? right. So by the time right. somebody picked us up, we were like, sort of good that the batteries are dead because we, yeah. we shouldn't, we shouldn't drive these things back. But 
that's the great part. You're not talking about a, you know, a couple of mile range. I mean, you're talking about 30 to 50 mile range. Our fleets get up to 70 mile range. So you can really get out and explore. Wow. Um, yeah. My wife and I, it's, it's our routine every night after dinner, grab the scooters, usually grab one of the dogs, let them run alongside us and go for a, you know, a good, a good long cruise. It's a long, this is the, the batteries that you're using. How do they compare to, you know, other electric vehicles? Obviously quite a bit more power. <laughs> In the battery, yeah, yeah. So from a from a range perspective, we we try to get thirty to fifty miles out of our tech that we have right now. I think we can, as everybody in the electric vehicle space, I think we can double that, maybe triple that in the next few years. You know, we've got a lot of torque. We have a four hundred and forty pound weight limit, is what we say from a warranty perspective. I got drivers that are much larger than four hundred and forty pounds, right? Uh, you know, and and my you know where I live, my my place up in the mountains. I mean, the road getting into my house. You know, and I'm a big dude. I'm 275 pounds, and I'm riding that scooter and whipping up that hill. I mean, it's we've got we've got some cool tech around that, and you've got to figure we're a little bigger than the micro mobility guys, so we can have a big, you know, yeah. 25 amp battery. We've got a 50 amp battery in one of our models. We're starting to flirt with the not the electric car range, right? But from a size perspective, we're comparable in the in the range size that we get out of the battery that we have. That, that is a big benefit, just having, you know, more space to put the battery in. Before we end here, you know, I want to hit at least one kind of insurance topic. The, you know, obviously safety is a, yeah. a big deal with scooters. The Mike, the, the kick scooter in general has had a lot of, has had a lot of publicity just based on the fact that it is a, a newer device that is maybe less intuitive than riding a bicycle even an electric bicycle, kind of the size of the scooter, the scope, the robustness, how does that factor in from your perspective in terms of the the safety of the vehicle and, sure. and educating people on how to ride it? I have ridden lots of the micromobility product. Everybody in our office knows that I will not ride them anymore. I've had too many close calls and with a gorgeous face like this, I don't <laughs> want to take any risks. There's a big difference, and you know that big fat tire makes up makes a huge difference. The types of things that would that would cause a micro mobility, you know, smaller scooter to flip over, these things just roll right over that. I mean, we we have people that hunt on these; they take them over logs and you know that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's it's definitely a lot more robust, more of a UTV in that regards, you know. But but if you think about it, it's it's more stable than a motorcycle, much more stable than a motorcycle because of the size of the wheel. And because of the size of the wheel and the frame and the weight and all that kind of stuff, it's it's a lot uh, more robust and bigger and heavier than you know our, our units are about 150 pounds. So, I mean these are these are vehicles. I mean they're not yeah. they're not toys for sure. And so we don't you know as you know we don't really have a ton of you know challenges with safety. I mean we certainly recommend to people to wear a helmet if they like. We we do you know limit all of these bikes to under 20 miles an hour so that we say in that e-bike category and it's a little bit more safe. But I do also think that we tend to have a lot different clientele in that regard. You know, I live, we're right down the street from ASU. And if you want me to go out and FaceTime you right now and show you some, some crazy stuff happening on those little scooters, <laughs> I, can, I can do it in yeah. about two minutes flat. But when somebody spends five or ten or $15,000 for a custom scooter, they're not jumping off very many curbs and right. pushing into the river. I mean, they're, they're pretty cautious and they treat it like, you know, they treat it that way. That's a good point. It, the usage or the purpose of, of using it is a lot different than 
the, the kick scooter space as well. So it's, it's yeah, not just sitting there on a curb. Yeah. No. And even if you look at the rental markets where we have rentals, they're usually longer term rentals. They're usually day rentals or week rentals. I can think of in Florida right now, we have a, there's a, a company out there that does rentals with fat scooters. They only rent to Airbnb customers. It's in a private gated community. They only rent to them. It's 400 bucks a week. They'll, they drop it off at your door. They have a guy stop by halfway through the week and charge him up for it. I mean, it's more like probably in a private jet versus like a commercial airline. I mean, they, it's much more expensive, but you know, people rent a $20,000 house for the week on the beach and they're like, yeah, for 2,500 bucks, drop four of these things off and that'll be our car for the week. We won't have to use Uber as much and, and we'll be able to explore and get out there you know, without having to, you know, walk or ride a bicycle. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting market that that rental market for private industry, you know, I'm seeing a lot more of that lately too, where, you know, you get hotels, you know, mostly boutique hotels or uh, apartment buildings or, or something like that, instead of, instead of, especially in urban community, more urban communities, I guess, instead of uh, having your clients go out and drive their giving them access to electric vehicles. Is that an area where you see potential development for you guys? Yeah, we have a luxury, more townhome developer we've been working with here for the last six months or so and trying to figure out how to incorporate this into, they're for purchase, so how to incorporate it into part of their price. We actually have two or three communities where when you buy a house in the community, you get two scooters as part of that. And the reason is, which I thought was really fascinating, at first we thought, oh, I I always love to understand the people do things for a reason, you know, even even as we're sitting here in the middle of an election and, you know, you see candidates saying something or doing something, it's very deliberate. They're they're not very much off the cuff, right? Most people do things very deliberately. So this real estate developer said, we're going to start including two scooters with every home purchase. And we thought, well, that's great. It's good business for us. And it's sort of a surprise when they do their closing they open the garage door and there's two scooters there and they try to, the realtor tries to customize them based upon what they've learned about that customer. All these guys own this company. They do this. We incorporate those logos. And, and, and I thought, well, this is really nice of you to do. And the developer sort of laughed and said, yeah, it's really, really nice. Especially down at the clubhouse where it used to be wife would go down and play pickleball at, at 6 a.m. And she would drive her SUV down there. And then husband would go to play golf at 8 a.m. And he would drive his SUV down there and our whole entire parking lot, we were constantly ah. running around and our valets were all over the place and people were complaining. And he's like, yeah, 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 real selfish. Now that I've got yeah. 40 fat scooters parked in five parking spaces and I've just completely opened up my parking lot. And, and now we can, you know, put another little bar over there, another comfort state. And I'm like, oh, smart. Yeah. You're doing this because you're a nice guy. I'm, I, he is a nice guy and that's why he's doing it, of course. But but he's doing it because it saves on real estate space, parking spaces. It makes it easier to get around the community. It, it's not as much, you know, uh, wear and tear on the golf course. I mean, there's lots of reasons why they do it. And it's not always just because they're just a great philanthropist. Right. I still want my realtor to do that, but it does seem <laughs> it does seem like a, a smart move to save us. I, I can give you a list of communities estate. where you get when you buy a multi okay. car home and you get a fat scooter. Well, Spend two million done. bucks and you get it a free seems, It seems like a worthwhile exchange. So absolutely, absolutely. Well, Derek, this was this was great. I really appreciate you being um, on the pod. Excited for the show to come out, and I'm excited to get my my fat scooter and sidecar. So 
No, absolutely. You can find out a lot more about the show at ridingfat.com. We're, we're doing some cool stuff with that. There's some videos on there. There's actually a, we, we just launched a crowdfunder campaign too, equity crowdfunding through the, or the Reg CF that the SEC allows now. We just did that for the show sure. too. And uh, we're pretty excited about that. We can, people can become sort of equity stakeholders in the show and, you know, become sort of a part of the journey. Oh, that's very cool. Especially if you're a you know, a customer. I mean, that, that's one of the things that I liked about it. At first, I was like, yeah, do we really want to do this? And then I started thinking about it. And I'm like, you know, it's sort of cool that I'm a customer. Oh, you know, I'm also an investor in their television show. It's like, that's a great way to get people to get out and talk about it and yeah. you know, be sort of a part. So it's almost like kind of like a an ESOP or like a, you know, like a. Yeah, exactly. You're, like you're part of you're part of the, the whole the whole yeah. journey there. So that's very cool. Yeah, it's cool. We've got some cool stuff going on with that. And it's it's pretty cool. We have some people that are that are uh, getting involved in that right now that they're, they're a little bit larger investors. And they're like, I want a cameo appearance on the show. I'm like, hey, if the check amount is more than this. You get, oh, little horse trading. Yeah, I like your little IMDB page uh, rolling. You know, you can start to build up your profile. So uh, maybe, maybe you'll get a, uh, you know, you'll get to, get, get, get to go to the, uh, the uh, Oscars or something this year. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But, uh, oh, maybe you'll get to go. Yeah, hopefully. Right. I mean, let's. Yeah. Let's see what happens. We're excited about it. I think it's a cool opportunity for us. And I think it's just a cool opportunity for the micromobility space, sustainability space, as well as entrepreneurial uh, space, particularly here in Arizona, being able to show you know what we can build right here. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I like it a lot. Well, thanks again for being on the show and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks, Brandon. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to XPod with this week's episode of Derek Baines. For more content, check us out on iTunes or check us out on axofpod.com.